Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center, and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. So, Sumeya, anything to say before I just get right into it? This is like a (laughs) nice little hello, catch up, all that. Yes, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Jeff, thank you for joining us. And Red, as always, I mean, this is your show too. So I just wanted to express gratitude for you guys consistently and and over the, the past few months taking the time to do this and all the work that goes behind the scenes and the editing and the organizing and thinking about the topics. So Thank you, and welcome to everyone here to the Weekend Product. Over to you, Jeff. All right. So Sumeya is a an all star. Has organized an amazing community and given space for Red, me, and Sumeya, and and time, most importantly, to be here every week. So she's given space to the Product Management Center, and I'll say welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. We are working to make a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And we have a lot of programs, but one thing we do is every single week, we are here telling you, not telling you, having a dialogue with you about how to succeed in product management. And every week we take a different topic. And this topic, today we were thinking that we would talk about how product managers, product executives interface with sales and marketing organizations within their companies. And we are joined by a senior VP of product at Sonos. So Ted, do you mind just quickly sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm happy to do that. I'm very happy and humbled to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I really appreciate being invited into this space to share whatever insight I can provide. Certainly (laughs) lessons learned, mistakes I've made, anything that can help this community grow and thrive. So I'm Ted Dworkin. And as Jeff mentioned, I'm a senior vice president of product management and customer experience at Sonos. And we make um, a smart speaker system, if you're not familiar with Sonos. And I joined Sonos about four years ago. And prior to joining Sonos, I was at Microsoft for more than 20 years. And Microsoft, of course, large multinational company. And I had a number of different roles there, all generally in the realm of product management, they're at least historically called program management. That is evolving and has evolved as well internally at, at Microsoft to some degree. But generally working on product definition, success, you know, outcomes, the triangulation of audience, business needs, experiential needs, technology, and that sort of happy marriage that ultimately um, uh, manifests in the form of some kind of customer-facing experience. I've worked on operating systems, on embedded software, on speech recognition, on search. Uh, I've worked on the productivity software, worked purely in the realm of services. I've worked in client and end user facing web um, technology. So lots and lots of different uh, domains. And at Sonos, it's been wonderful the last few years to really focus on how to make the world's leading sound sound experience and how to bring that um, uh, to life in the form of devices and services both. Um, and how it'll also 
uh, create a rich ecosystem of partners that uh, help uh, inform that experience and make it richer for end customers. Ted, I'm a little disappointed that in your journey through product, you left out your humble beginnings at the University of Washington, a fellow Husky here, but I'll forgive you as the conversation moves on. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Shame on me. The challenge with that, Jeff, is it was so long ago (laughs) that that it takes takes some, it's effortful for me to remember my my, uh, humble roots, but I did get a great education at the University of Washington, no question about it. Awesome. Uh, Which is why you are the product executive that you are today. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. It was that early training and that early academic exposure in the community that I built at, at UW that, that really powered me. No question, Jeff. Awesome. Thank you. Glad to hear it. So, Sumeya, so uh, we're talking about uh, this kind of collaboration from PMs and product executives, how they interface with uh, sales and marketing organizations why should everybody from aspiring product managers to uh, the people who've been in it for decades like Ted, why should everybody here care about this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And Ted, good to have you here as always. <laughs> so I wanted to highlight a couple of things that are really important to product managers. One, uh, the concept uh, the concept of product market fit is something that we talk about a lot in the early days of a product. and uh, I know that many PMs in those early days are actually also the sales team (laughs) or part of the sales team or completely embedded within the sales team because it takes a lot of that kind of skills of uh, talking to customers, determining value, the back and forth, the understanding of what is really uh, important or valuable to build products around. So if you are one of those product managers in the early days of a product, sales is important because you are actually part of that sales process too, in a lot of cases. And then for more mature products, I, I think one of the things we uh, product managers believe in is this customer centricity, where we care about the customer point of view, we care about everything that, or we have a lot of empathy for the customer. And so uh, working closely with our sales people, we can get insights sometimes about our customers that we don't know about. We also care about the growth of our product because, you know, growth and adoption and all of that mean it's successful. And so the, the collaboration with um, our sales counterparts is not just the obvious one around growth or we want to sell the product, but it's also about what they're hearing on the ground. What does what does it mean to create tangential products or new products or to increase our market share? Or how do we uh, go about prioritizing the, ne- the next set of features? They might have more insights into the market than we ourselves PMs do. And by bringing that in, we create a more holistic point of view. So there is a lot to talk about there. Uh, and I think one of the most important partnerships as PMs we can have is with the, with the sales team. So I'm excited we're going to dive deeper into that today. I'm excited too. And this is our uh, co-host, our stage manager's chance to shine. Red is a sales. You, you might not know this because he brings out product management jokes. He invests so much time here on how to succeed in product management to helping product managers. And his company, Aptemptive, which uh, sponsors the 
translation of this discussion into a podcast that you could download anywhere. They help PMs, but Red is a sales guy. So Red, tell us a little bit about yourself and then let's start diving into some content here. How do you as a sales guy interact with your PMs at Uptemptive? Well, first of all, it's a pleasure. I would not be here if it weren't for Abtentive encouraging me to figure out that there's a lot of need in the product management space for support. So I am here first and foremost to say that I'm one of the founding team members and founding advisors for the Product Management Center at University of Washington. So Jeff brought me into the fold to support product managers. And that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years is supporting PMs. And it's interesting that you're asking me like, hey, what is the intersection between sales and PMs? I would actually ultimately say that salespeople are product managers too. They just don't know it yet. When you're thinking about relationship building, that's key. There has to be an element of trust and empathy in a sales relationship so you can figure out what the problem is and how you can solve it. Doesn't that sound like a product manager? The only thing that I would say is, and and Sumeya, echoing your statement, we are on the front lines with our ears listening to what prospects want. And if you're reselling to them, what customers want but if you don't do a good job of documenting that and, and bringing that to the product management team, that's a huge mess. If you're going to be someone that says, I could sell more if our product was better, but you're not actually doing the work of listening and translating that to the PM who's at the intersection of business and, and design and, and what customers' needs are, you're missing the point of sales. So I, I know there's probably a lot to unpack, but ultimately, I am a closet product manager. And today, I am proud to say that I don't actually see a difference between a salesperson and a PM so long as the salesperson is as empathetic as the others on stage today. Back to you. And Red, very quickly, I love what you said there. I don't think I've thought about it in that way exactly, but as you highlight the things that make a great salesperson, which is, you know, listening to the customer and trying to solve problem for them and delivering value, those are exactly the same things that... PMs care about. I think there is this people who haven't interacted with great salespeople might have, you know, an image or an impression of sales that's based on maybe something from the movies. I don't know, (laughs) or fiction. But the reality is some of the best salespeople have, you're right, the similar skill sets to what PMs do. I wouldn't say all of them, just the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) The good ones. All right. So, Ted, I want to turn to you, if you don't mind. You're a senior vice president at Sonos. And I'm curious, what pathways for dialogue do you try to set up between your product managers and your sales teams and, and, or either set up or encourage? How do you keep those relationships strong? Well, the first thing that, that's important is just acknowledging, you know, Red and Samaya's points that that relationship is vital. So for any product manager that is in our organization, We want to make sure that they have an understanding of what the path to market is for whatever they're working on. And the path to market for whatever they're working on generally goes through somebody in our go-to-market organization that's an expert on that path to market, on the dynamics of that path to market, on the characteristics of it, on who we're trying to attract and retain, whose loyalty we're trying to, to bind to the Sonos brand and to the Sonos product line. And so the first thing is just setting a baseline expectation that is part and parcel of the responsibility of a product manager to have an outstanding relationship with whomever they're working on in the go-to-market organization. The second thing is that we, well, we want to make sure that we are effective and efficient in the use of people's time, time being this you know, incredibly scarce resource that we have. But we want to make sure that the sales and marketing organization are part of the experience definition, that we're not in a situation in which we're handing off 
well past the point in time in which the experience can really be affected or changed. But they're part of the dialogue at the creation phases. And if in the case of a service, they're part of an ongoing dialogue around its evolution. Not just what it is, but how we're going to measure successful outcomes. And what is the joint responsibility or joint accountability between the go-to-market organization and the product organization in the success of anything that we're putting into market? And so I think that it's part of the expectation of a relationship. It's about embedding that conversation in an ongoing way into the product development process. It's about joint accountability and agreement or acknowledgement of a healthy tension even between specific success metrics or outcomes that are sales and marketing oriented and that are product oriented. And those are the ways in which I think it's really important to bind these two functions together to kind of get the most robust or as Red said, holistic kind of view, uh, Samaya said, holistic view of the customer and how you actually embed that in the experience that you create. And then just kind of piggybacking on that, Ted, another question for you. Are there any process documents or processes that you've implemented in terms of like, do you have or force or encourage a certain cadence for when people meet or any sort of a structure to a document in, the, in which the ways they communicate with each other? Are there any processes that get codified or is it just a matter of encouraging this symbiotic relationship, so to speak, and, and constant dialogue? No, there's a couple of ways in which we actually embed it and codify it in the process. And that's the way to really help ensure that it is an expectation. And that's also the way to ensure that we actually reflect over time on what's working and not working well in that relationship and adapt it by having an actual plan, by having a committed process. So in the case of our hardware, it's a fairly structured process because there's a significant amount of capital outlay that's required well ahead of the product actually coming to market. With software, it's a little bit different, a little more flexible in the case of an ongoing service. But in each case, we do have a process by which we effectively define who the target, in the form of a brief, we define who the target audience is, who the customer is, what we want, what the value proposition is, what the expected outcomes are. And all of that is effectively, uh, the product manager is ultimately responsible for ensuring the integrity of that brief. But the go-to-market organization has a strong contribution into that. And the formation of a brief seems really straightforward, but Samaya made some really great points about the amount of data that can be brought to bear in the formation of that brief and in the evolution of that brief through the product development process as inevitably you need to make decisions about constraints, new data that comes in that informs the direction that you head. And so at the front of the process, we make sure that any brief is effectively uh, has the perspective and, and, and alignment with the go-to-market organization. Once the products and experiences are actually in market, that's where you have an ongoing dialogue about whether you have achieved product market fit, whether the various attributes or successes that you identified are actually being achieved, whether you're actually measuring the right things. You could learn, reflect, and make decisions about, in fact, the objectives and key results that you established as part of that program and that experience need to change, need to evolve. New market forces, new competitive forces, new customer behaviors, all of those can inform an adaptation to what you had jointly believed was the right way to measure success. And that's an important point of reflection and point of sort of sustaining and growing the impact of what you put out into the market. All right. Thank you, Ted. Now I want to turn to Samea. I want to start kind of teasing out how is it different, the relationship between PMs and the sales organization? How does that differ for B2B versus B2C? Uh, so business to business versus business to consumer. Sumea, tell me a little bit about what you've seen work very well in B2B as uh, PMs interact with sales organization? Yeah, I'm going to break it up into two parts. So the early days of a product 
I'm talking when you, if you are within a, an enterprise, it almost feels like a startup. It's the PM and maybe four or six engineers and maybe a salesperson and a marketing person. In those instances, at most, and in those instances, the interaction with sales is much more frequent. You're talking about working sessions that we do together, maybe once a week or twice a week or more. In the early days, it's a lot more, actually. And then as they start making calls and having conversations with the customer, you're doing it together. Together. So there is not really a lot of decoupling. You're, you're joined in many ways in a lot of the conversations and the activities that take place. And so that, to me, the early days, that collaboration is very close. And if we're talking about frameworks or the kind of ceremonies or rituals that happen, I would say think like how a startup works, you know, the agility there. And don't think about process as much as think about frequency of collaboration, discussion, sharing of information and involvement together so that there is a high level of empathy for the needs of the customer and the work that needs to be done. So there is that. And then as the product starts maturing, so we're talking at least on the B2B side, we're starting to talk about million dollar plus, maybe a hundred million ARR or even more. Again, I'm thinking enterprise products here, B2B. At that stage, you have more of an established sales motion and your sales organization is starting to think about scale. You start thinking about someone who acts almost like a chief revenue officer or is leading the sales motion for that product. And, And you start talking about roadmap and growth targets that both you, the product, and the the sales team and the marketing team have to work together and determine how you can achieve them. In a lot of cases, I like to work backwards. So, you know, we talk about our planning, whether it's quarterly or, you know, monthly or whatever, but think about these targets you want to hit and then together, all of us, the product and go-to-market team, we sit down and, and think about all the things we need to do between now and then. And then we have we, we have established touch points to talk about, you know, those milestones or touch points around those milestones, but then maybe other frequent touch points as well, maybe weekly. So when you start talking about people who are leading that business unit or the product, there are weekly touch points to understand how are we doing, how is how are we trending? What does the competitive landscape looks like? And then as you start uh, going lower in detail or, you know, within these larger products, you have multiple products managers, then you start thinking about specific salespeople on specific accounts collaborating maybe with a product manager who is focused on one aspect of the product that's really important for that account. So there is variability here. And I say this because... In a lot of enterprise products, you have both the services side of the house and then the software side of the house. The services side of the house can pick up some of that product management listening function because they're working on implementing your product and achieving value hand in hand with the customer on the ground. And so for you as a PM or for us at least as PMs, we want to interact frequently with the customer with those PMs doing the services side and then with the salespeople. I hope that made sense. 
All right. Thank you. Before we go deeper, I want to kind of breath here and see, Ted, does that change too much what she said versus your experience in B2C? There are a lot of similarities and then I think a few a few key differences. Samaya's point about the, you'd mentioned earlier too, Jeff, this sort of what are the processes? How do we sort of codify this relationship? Samaya used the word rituals, which I love. So joined at the hip is shared regardless of the audience. And so participation in this notion of working backwards from what we want the market to celebrate about this experience once it comes into the into being. Joint responsibility for measures of success, which I described, or objectives and key results, depending on which process a team or a company uses. And then, of course, on the initial brief, and then particularly the case of iterative development and services on an ongoing way. Samaya mentioned this, you know, these weekly kind of touch points and frequent touch points. Those are all the same, I think, or pretty similar regardless of audience. The difference is, I think, on the consumer side, and Sonos has both, a, we sell into installers, and so that's effectively a, a B2B type channel, and then a, a direct to consumer. And then we, of course, work with a lot of retailers and, and resellers as well. You need to, the difference there is from a customer perspective or audience perspective, there's just a slightly different set of motivations, depending on if you're talking into B2B or B2C. On the B2B side, you may be spending more time on conversations around things like security, on things like manageability, on things like deployment. Whereas on the B2C side, you're probably talking, spending more time and energy on the understanding of and the explanation of that end value proposition to that end customer. Um, and it's not to say that things like security and deployability and manageability don't matter in that circumstance, but they're more opaque for that audience in terms of what they're listening for and the signal that they care about. So from a sales motion perspective, from the story that you're telling, there's just different emphasis. And they're just different channel and market dynamics. There's different incentive models. When you're talking about selling to direct to consumer, the margin structure is different. The communication is different. The path to purchase is different. How you think about funnels, how you think about drop-off points and friction points in that journey, those are all different. Yet again, different if you're thinking about resellers and what is their incentive model and why would they be excited about advocating on your behalf for effectively your product to a joint customer. So all those dynamics have to be factored, and there are some unique differences between these channels. But I think even more critical is what's shared about them in terms of the sort of baseline need for a kind of coherent and tight collaboration between the sales, marketing, and product management organizations. Ted, the point you brought up around the friction and thinking about the business model, et cetera, I think that's something that can't be overestimated because sometimes on the product side, we think that we can develop a product without thinking about that stuff ahead, but it's so important. And this is where that collaboration happens. For example, you can't really build a product and then try to retrofit it into a freemium model if it's a, a very complicated product. I mean, you can, but it just involves so much more work later on. I'm curious about how you think of that balance between thinking about that business model or how you're going to do sales and product market fit. Yeah, it's a great question and a great point. It has to be, I'm going to agree with you that it's a critical part of the conception of what you're creating in the first place. And so this notion that we'll build it and figure out the business later it's certainly possible, and there will be people that probably you know have found not probably, but have definitely found a path through that. But I think that you can eliminate uh, cost in development. You can reduce time um, in terms of your ramp to success if you conceive of and validate that your business model and your product go hand in hand in terms of how you bring it to market. The part I also want to admit or acknowledge is that you may not be right. And so part of the journey of I think product definition and business model assessment is 
playing out what happens if you're wrong or what signals you would look at to know if you're not right and what will you do about it. So you can effectively game plan that to a certain degree ahead of time. And so you choose a particular path. That particular path has an experiential component to it, a technical component to it, but inherently a business model set of assumptions, to Samaya's point. Now, I think then what you do in order to ensure maximum flexibility, if you find the conditions that you anticipated aren't there, is ahead of time, you imagine what a turn to the left or a turn to the right would mean. And you can't anticipate every one of these turns. That's the part of iterative development that's critical and that and in a very dynamic marketplace. But ahead of time, you can start with documenting your assumptions, what data you're using to validate those assumptions, what you're learning from your customers in your market as strong signal. What if you're getting different signal? What do you imagine doing about it? And how hard would it be to evolve your model? If you anticipate upfront that you might need to evolve it, you're more than likely to develop as part of the process the ability to more quickly adapt as opposed to, as may have pointed out, having to retrofit, which can be very expensive, labor-intensive, time-intensive, can fundamentally affect your premise in terms of your architecture. And all those are very expensive pivots. And so building in that flexibility on the assumption that it's possible, you might need to move in direction two, three, or four, can afford you a much cheaper path to making those changes, which is less disruptive, should you find that your original assumptions actually don't hold in market. All right, great dialogue here. It is time for audience questions. I'm going to turn over to Red, who is our stage manager, and he'll tell you all about how to get up on stage or get your question answered in the Product Management Center Slack channel. But feel free to start queuing up your hand there. Before I turn it to Red, I just want to take a brief interlude to say that we are here with Ted Dworkin, a senior VP at Sonos, and we are talking about sales and the, the relationship between PMs and sales organizations and how to make that effective and how to serve your customer and succeed in product management effectively through managing that relationship with sales. That was a little wordy, but I think you know what we're talking about. Most of you have been here from the beginning. For those just joining us, that's what we're welcoming questions on. And before we start to questions, I just want to say a big shout out to Amazon, who is the very first platinum sponsor on the uh, Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. We have a goal here at the University of Washington to empower 100 professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role by June 2022. We have our fall cohort uh, halfway through now. They've already accepted jobs at Peloton, Microsoft, and IBM and Oracle, and we've got more companies coming to hire them. And we're grateful that Amazon is investing so that we could expand this program going forward. And so you here in the audience have an advantage over our podcast group because applications are Thursday. So if you're an aspiring PM from a historically marginalized community and you want to be connected to the knowledge, uh, the people and connections and a community of support to succeed as a product manager and to get that first job, applications open on Thursday and close on Saturday. Uh, we've had overwhelming uh, demand to be a part of this program and so we have volunteers reviewing the applications. They're uh, product managers who are going to be evaluating whether you have the potential and drive to succeed as a PM, developing innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. So you here in the audience, you can apply. Open The applications open up on Thursday. And those listening on the podcast, I regret to inform you that applications have already closed by the time you hear this. Anyway, that's so sad, isn't it? I wish we could have everybody. But there's got to be some benefit, I guess, to being here live. Another benefit of being here live is that Red... 
you get to give them a chance at the moment in the sun. Tell them what that red circle means and take the stage, man. It's your, your time to shine. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you. So for everyone who's out there, there is three things to note about tonight. One, we are recording the show. So if you aren't able to stay the whole time, we are publishing this about a week after the show is done and you can find it on your podcasting platform of choice. Now, for those of you who are interested in our Slack community and Sumeya and I are trying to experiment with a way of trying to get this into Clubhouse. But for right now, if you want to join, we have over 1,200 product managers in a Slack group. And you know what? You can fax me, throw a, a stone my way, carrier pigeons accepted. Ultimately, I'm trying to be the easiest person on the planet to find so you can join that group or you can use back channel inside of this group. So there it is. If you look above our little emoji heads, there it is, a link to join the Slack group. Now, as far as why we're here tonight, we're here to help people in the community, not just join a Slack and ask a question virtually. We want to do it live here on the show. So if you are somebody who has a question about the intersection between sales and product, raise your hand. There's a little hand picture at the bottom of your screen, right above a little notebook. Click on that. Join us on stage, ask your question, or if you're a little shy, go into the Slack group and ask your question there. So we're inviting everyone up on the stage and seeing some hand raises. Just please make sure your picture is A-OK and uh, you are not a dentist. Jeff, I am pretty sure I do not want to highlight dentists this week. So uh, yes, Uh-oh. I'm not being totally inclusive. But dentists yeah. work with sales. <laughs> sales is critical to dentistry. <laughs> they don't need to sell. They're, they're product-led growth. The teeth grow themselves, and then they need to be fixed. There is no need for a salesperson. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think our good friend Chitra is here in the audience, right under, followed by users, and she happens to be a dentist, an awesome one, too. And so, Chitra, I welcome you to come up and... Uh... Overruled, Red. <laughs> Executive privilege. I like it, Sumeya. Thank you. I stand corrected. Well, while we're waiting for that uh, dentist to come up on stage and defend the position of the intersection between sales and product. Jesse, thank you for coming up on the stage. The microphone's yours. What question do you have? No, I'm absolutely not. I'm a product manager. Uh, so thank you everyone like for the conversation today on the intersection between PM and sales. So I actually have like one question specifically to marketing because I think marketing is also serving a critical role between PM uh, and sales in the process. And my question is, I don't know whether you guys can shed some light on what a product marketing manager's responsibility is in an organization. And when PMs, you know, like are trying to have some conversation with PMM, are there any advice or suggestions in terms of how PM can behave? Okay. Well, I think I would want to point to Ted for that first one, just based off of the earlier feedback you gave about the need for sales, marketing, and product to get along. So Ted, would you want to weigh in on that? And if you want to ask a clarifying question? Yeah, I just want to make sure I heard it clear, Jesse. You want to make sure you, you're interested in the role of the product marketing manager and then the relationship between the product manager and the product marketing manager. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's correct. Just like in general, what PMM does and how PM can better work together with PMM. Yeah, great question. I think that, so I'll just answer from my own personal experience and then from the sort of network of conversations that I've had. I think that as many different companies as there are out there, there might be different sort of at the edges, different expectations around a product marketing manager relative to a product manager. But I think a lot of what a product marketing manager is responsible for is ultimate accountability for the storytelling that you're going to do in the market about the value proposition of what you're creating. They're ultimately responsible for figuring out the right language and altitude 
and channels with which to reach the specific audiences. So what are the methods to reach those audiences? What are the specific messages that are going to resonate with those audiences? And then the sort of measures of success and accountability on what that would look like. So what should the marketing investments be to reach the right audiences with the right messages associated with the experience. And that's ultimately what I think the product marketing manager is responsible for in in my tenure. The relationship to the product manager is, as I suggested, joint belief in what we're creating will actually resonate with these target customers. And the product marketing manager, as was suggested earlier, can really help product managers with that product market fit. They can really bring market intelligence into the conversation around that product market fit. They all should be, should be a critical voice in establishing the business model that Samia had mentioned earlier. So the product marketing manager should have particular insight on the dynamics of the channels in which you're trying to sell your product and the sort of unique attributes of the business model that's going to be required in order to be successful in those channels. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's super helpful. So one follow-up to that is, is it the PM's role or is it the PMM's role to better understand the customers? So right now, for example, like when we are trying to do, you know, like some user survey or like even just like user direct user conversations, I'm just trying to figure out whether as PM I should do it myself or I should attribute it to my marketing counterpart. I'm going to answer really welcome if Samaya or Red agree or disagree, but I'm going to go right back to Red, what he had said on his initial introduction. The answer to that, Jesse, is yes. Both parties are responsible for a rich understanding of our customers. Both parties should really be care about that survey data. Both parties should understand what insights can be derived from that data. It's everybody associated with a product responsibility to have customer empathy and understand that customer. Now, they can't all be involved in the same activities at the same time. That's why we have some form of specialization within discipline. But at the end of the day, if your question is who's responsible for really ingesting that information coming back from that survey and using that to inform how they go about their work, the answer to that is both or I would just, you know, in all caps, yes, for product marketing manager and product manager. Jesse, thank you for two great questions, but I actually want to create a bridge here for the question before we go to the next person. But you mentioned that they're all accountable for it, Ted. But one of the things that I find is lacking a lot in organizations, and I won't say it's lacking at the company I work for because I have an incredible, incredible product team. Love you, Cena, if you're out there in the audience. But when it comes to making it easy for the sales team or the product marketer to give their feedback, what do you use as a conduit for making it easy for those three individuals, the product marketer, the product manager, and the seller to communicate what they're hearing and ultimately stay consistent with what they're building in respect to those customers? I want to kick it over to Samea and then back to Ted because while we all have to own it, how do we manage that process? What's the Sumea level framework because we know we get one every week from you, Samaya, <laughs> to, to create that glue. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, this product management function or art or a practice that we all love continues to mature. I think we're going to see many, many more bridging roles like this, like the product marketing manager, which I think is a relatively newer role compared to others. We've always had marketing, we've had product or project management and for a long time, and now we have PMM. We also have product 
management operations. And we have other specializations, you know, depending on the company you're in, especially if you're in the software world, you start seeing very specific roles, products management that's related to sales. You start seeing others, you know, around product experimentation manager. So how do you manage all that? I, I mean, I think about it from that top level. And if you are talking about your first PMM on the team, then yes, this is the kind of negotiation that people do in a healthy team where you talk about all of us care about the customer. But ultimately, these are the outcomes that you need to own. And these are the outcomes I need to own. And these are the outcomes that engineering needs own. And so it's a fluid conversation. But then when we start talking at an organizational level and you move beyond the first PM or PMM, and I always like to think about this in this way in terms of growth, because I, I work with some startups as an advisor and, and you have to break it up. But if you're talking at scale, and you're starting to talk about the organizational collaboration and the communication and how does PMM bridge the work between go-to-market or between marketing and the engineering and product managers. I think all of that is essentially what you do for every other function, which is determine the people, process, and technology involved in that work. So I, I don't necessarily have a framework that's very specific to PMM. For me, as someone who leads the product management function, I would just collaborate with my marketing counterparts on defining the roles and then let the teams at the pod level uh, determine the details of what that looks like exactly for their team because they recognize two things. One, not all product managers have all the same skills. And so you want to create a situation and an opportunity for people to be complementary. Sometimes the PMM might pick up a little more of the data analysis versus you know, what they would do on another team. And then the second thing you want to allow for is the difference between different products. And as they uh, grow and they mature, there are also different needs that the team has. So some guide rails with flexibility. Okay. So not the framework we were looking for, but definitely helps us understand scale. Ted, did you have anything you wanted to bring into light around what you might be doing? to make it easy for the team, besides taking you out for drinks, right? They can always take products out for drinks. Of course, that's the, yeah, that's the secret to getting your uh, requirements up, up higher on the roadmap list. So a couple of things. The, the first is, you know, there's a very simple but powerful concept of this, of a core team, a core project team. And you just make sure that that core team is really representative of the full sort of set of disciplines that can really uh, create that kind of rich, robust picture of what we're trying to get done. And so if you use that core team, sort of model, and that core team is meeting regularly, could be a couple times a week, could be daily, it's certainly offline in the form of Slack or Teams or other, you know, other forms of communication in addition to, to actual meeting time, you should be asking how frequently the agenda of that core team is talking about our customer data. What are we learning from our customers? What have we learned? What has changed? What new insights? How frequently is direct line of sight from your sales channel being brought into that conversation? How frequently is line of sight from maybe a customer support being brought in. And if you're in a smaller organization or if you haven't gotten to market yet, then you're using data um, through other forms of insight, data that's available either because it's industry available, data in the form of surveys, ad hoc user studies that you're doing. 
just what is the heartbeat, customer heartbeat of data that you're actually bringing into your core team conversations? And that's just a question you can ask yourself. And if it feels like not all that frequently and you're spending more time on sort of operational questions or technology questions, you're probably not building as robust a view and therefore as robust an offering as you could. Um, and so I think that that's one um, critical join point. Um, and the second is to, when you are talking about that data, relieve some of the pressure around um, having to have clear conclusions every time you look at it. So create an environment in which you just allow the team to wallow in that data, to just kick it around, to wonder about it, to be curious about it, to ask follow-up questions. If you sort of always demand of people presenting the data that they have a super crisp insight and an immediate action, you find yourself people inhibited from actually sharing the data when they're not always sure what to make of it. And they don't. And maybe the benefit of having that cross-discipline view is they get a richer conversation and insights. Now, of course, ultimately, you don't only want to be uh, analyzing. You actually do want to be suggesting what to do. But I think that you need this balance of time where you're sitting with the data, being, letting yourself be confused by the data, letting yourself be curious about it. And if you relieve that pressure, I think you actually get to insight and outcome faster. You have people more willing to actually take risks in, a, in trying to figure out what that data might mean. And all of that, I think, is healthier in the end if you create that environment and that culture. I love that. It's a great example of building psychological safety and a very meaningful and I think in many ways an example that all of us can implement in our team. So thanks for that, Ted. Well, Ted, you gave me an excuse to give a shout out. Last week, we were talking about the difference between startups and or two weeks ago, I believe, startups and larger companies and how to be a product manager. It's clear for product managers at larger companies, it's more difficult with pods. But if you're at a smaller company, mid-market, Justin was one of the speakers. Highly recommend you listen to that podcast. He also started a company called UpFocus. So if you're having trouble focusing on what data to focus on, I can't say the word focus enough with UpFocus. Okay, I'm not being paid for this. I'm just really appreciative of people who give great information that I think out there people can use. So getting to the framework, got a lot of great advice. Jesse, thanks for getting that conversation started. Thank you. Now moving on to the next one. You're very welcome and love the picture, by the way. Very artistic. Hopefully I'm saying your name correctly. Thomason, uh, I don't see any bio information about you, so I can't have fun and give you a crazy shout out. Love the blue shirt. Looking good. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm Thomason, inspiring product manager. My question actually aligns with Jess's question. So when it comes to acquiring, da acquiring data, when it comes to qualitative data or quantitative data, sometimes I don't mind using sales to acquire quantitative data. But when it comes to qualitative data, I think I'm just asking, you know, guys on stage, is it better to have, you know, in-person conversations with, you know, your customers, you know, what the, the problem is, the exact problem is, or, you know, fully depending on, you know, your sales team or your marketing team to, you know, get the actual problem or, you know, the root cause of, you know, what's going on with the customer, you know, asking the why is what exactly is going on with the customer. So that's my question. And it kind of aligns with uh, Jess's question also too. I have a quick clarifying question. Why is it an either or? Why is it not both? It could be both too. Because the thing is, when it comes to numbers, when it comes to, because most times you don't want to, you know, make conclusions based on just quantitative data, right? But when it comes to quantitative data, that's easier to get from, you know, the sales team or the marketing team. But when it comes to qualitative data from, you know, the customers, your customers, I think it's, it's, more of, you know, a personal connection to know exactly what their problems are. And why break it up 
why break up that distinction of the source from sales by quantitative versus qualitative? So the reason why I say that is because for qualitative, it comes to it comes to you know that personal connection, you know, the conversation you have with the uh, your customer, your clients, you know, getting you know asking them questions, you know, and also empathizing with them to know what the exact problems are. But when it comes to numbers, that would be more difficult as a product manager to get those numbers. Something I could easily get from sales or marketing. Hmm. I I don't necessarily see it that way. My general philosophy, and I'll start and then turn it over to you, Ted. My general philosophy is I will accept and look at all data, especially if it's internal data. So whether it's from sales or marketing, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, whether it's from customer experience, anyone essentially internally who's providing me with data, I will take a look at it. The only part that I have a hard and fast rule about is customer interactions or actually talking directly to the customer. I feel very strongly that product managers need to do that and should not, you know, delegate that that function to sales or marketing or customer success uh, because I've, I've, I see that tends to happen every now and then in, in some companies. But in general, in terms of data source, I don't. I, I don't have any concerns with getting data from other teams. Head over to you. I really agree completely. I think it's important to to listen to the sales and marketing organizations on the qualitative side because they're just in conversations you aren't. And so just, so accepting that feedback is very important. Triangulating it with other data sources is ultimately uh, will make that feedback more robust in terms of what insights you derive from it. But I think that there, it just helps with scale. From the smallest companies to the largest, they're just in meetings and conversations with customers you're not. And so to foreclose on the benefit of those, I think, is excited. So I would embrace that feedback. I think it's also an important, it's not just symbolic, but I think it's an important gesture when you talk to sales and marketing, when you ask them to get help with getting connected to customers, ask them where you think you would learn the most, where you would get the most empathy, where you would understand the most, have them point you to various customers they've had conversations with. It just shows you that you're actually taking walking in their shoes, that you actually want a shared experience with what it means to be on the front lines with those customers. I think it's really important trust building exercise with that channel and just helps everybody feel more committed holistically to try and accomplish something. So finally, I just want to agree with Samantha, no matter how large an organization you work for, whether it's something at the scale of Amazon or Microsoft or it's a startup, product managers, whether they're SVP of product management as I am, or whether they just are fresh out of uh, the UW and they're starting as a product manager, talk to customers. There's no company too large and there's no job too senior where that isn't a core part of the responsibility of a product manager. And so I have the benefit of being able to do that through user research interviews. Obviously, our product is out in consumers' hands. And so uh, when people find out where I work, they generally, if I'm fortunate enough that they have Sonos and if they're fortunate enough to want to be able to talk to me about it. So I get a lot of um, direct feedback and I'm, I'm deliberate about it. I go to our customer success organization and I make sure to listen to calls and sit in uh, similarly with our sales organization. Ted, what you just said, it further proves the point sales and product. There's just so little that separates us. We have to talk to customers to survive. We have to. If we're not talking to prospects, we're not going to make our quota. We're not going to close deals. We're not going to assert like that role is about talking to prospects and people. If product isn't treating it the same way, I feel bad because that's where the best innovation comes from. That's your competitive edge is your customer. 
Awesome. Okay, we have room for one more question before closing thoughts. Thank you, Thomasin, again for supporting that amazing blue top and get on with your bio in Clubhouse. Support people can appreciate what you do. Argentina, you're a repeat guest. Would love to give you the stage and learn a little bit more about what your question is coming from sales and marketing. The stage is yours. Thanks, Red. Such an amazing room. Well, I'm actually listening. Some of my questions have been answered already by you, you guys. So it's been great. I just didn't want to like skip out and <laughs> I feel so rude. But okay, so my question then, pretend that you have, you're starting your own startups and you're building your own sales and marketing team. What are the key roles that you must have in those, uh, in those departments? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I fully understand the question. I'd like to clarify. Can you ask it a different way? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know it's not specific on the product management. I guess it is in terms of, you know, building the sales and marketing team. Right. So usually with startups, they start very nimble and you can only hire certain positions. So what are the key roles that are essential to be filled in in the sales and marketing, in your opinion? And this is for a startup or mid-size? Startup, startup. Oh, wow. This is the go-to-market challenge. When do you hire product? When do you hire marketing? When do you hire sales? I'm not going to ultimately start by answering that because I want it from a product manager's perspective. Ted or Sumea, should you be hired first at a startup before sales and marketing are there? I'll start with Ted. This is, you know, it's going to be a relatively unsatisfying answer. But I'm going to say it really depends. And I'm going to say it really depends because individuals are not just their titles. They represent a set of skill set, skills. So it's possible that your sales and marketing people have a tremendous facility with, with product. Maybe they actually have you know, technology degrees, depending on what domain in which you're operating. And maybe they have domain expertise, whether it's healthcare or social construct. or you know. So it's really, really hard thing to answer sort of a priori ahead in terms of what comes first. You know, you can sort of do the logic game where you say, well, it's G, if you don't have a product, then what are you selling? And you could say, well, G, then basically you need to start with product management. But I don't think it's as necessarily as clear as that, depending again on the skill sets of the individuals involved. At the end of the day, you're going to need all three in order to be thriving and successful. And the longer you wait, the longer you have to sort of build that affinity and from the jump, basically have that kind of holistic view of what you're creating the business model you're going to be using, the channels in which you're going to be delivering it, the value proposition that you're going to be using to pitch it, and how you're going to recognize success. So it's very, very difficult question to answer up front and have that be really a guideline that I think is actually, it's actually more, in some ways a little more dangerous, I would assert, to assume that there's a model for this that's a perfect model for it. And I think even the nature of what you're creating could really change the direction, whether it's B2C, B2B, how complicated is the product, the business model, as we said before, all those things could ch potentially change what the right order of operations is for who you bring into the organization in first, second, third, and fourth. Argentina, thank you so much. That was such a meaty question. I'm going to advise Sumea, you have a startup club here on Clubhouse with tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 people in that club. I think that's a meaty topic to cover for a whole whole episode, and, and Red and I might be able to be a part of that. But thank you for raising such a great question, Argentina. And now it's time for concluding thoughts. Uh, we had here a very special guest, a University of Washington graduate and a senior vice president at Sonos, which are you hiring, Ted? Is that something we could throw out there too? I think I, I know that your organization is growing. Uh, do we get to pop in that you're, you're hiring? 
Yes, please do. Absolutely. But mostly what I care about is helping you develop everybody's career in a satisfying way, whether that's at Sonos or somewhere else. But we are for sure hiring. Awesome. So as you're developing their careers, I want to give you a chance, Ted, first, any concluding thoughts on our conversation about collaboration between sales and product managers? I'll just go back to the point that Red keeps reinforcing over and over again. And I think Tusamaya has has really helped reinforce, which is the line between these things is potentially blurring and narrowing and based, take full advantage of the benefits of that relationship, whether it be a direct understanding of our customers, whether it be assessment and determination of the business model, whether it be finding the right kind of product market fit and value proposition that you want to bring to market. Take full advantage of that relationship. It's such a rich relationship and such a rich opportunity to build something great and do that with less energy spent and time spent if you don't take full advantage of that relationship. All right, Ted, thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting the PMs in the community here of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington, where we leverage our connections to great alumni like you, uh, to great product executives like Sumeya, to great supporters like Red and the interdisciplinary faculty. We leverage all of that to try to enrich the lives of diverse PMs across the globe. And Sumeya, you've been here every single week, although I think you might have missed one, but shouldn't have said, <laughs> not to focus on that, almost every single week. I think we're on six months now. Um, yeah. I could be wrong. Except uh, when I was in the rainforest. <laughs> yeah, which I think is a good excuse. So every single week, except for the rainforest, is the only thing that could keep you away from this audience. Uh, what are your <laughs> concluding thoughts today? Well, I wanted to talk about this tension sometimes that turns negative between PM and sales. And that's something that a lot of us who have been around for a while have experienced it, especially when sales wants something and product is not delivering it fast enough or sales wants something, but we don't think on the product side that that's something that should be built because it's too narrow of a product or whatever the reason is to say no to sales. <laughs> and so I want to I wanna go back. And when I think about that tension in the past, I had to shift my thinking and think about it as a positive rather than a negative. And it became a positive when I used those conversations and those moments of tension to help us come up with even better ideas. Because at the end of the day, we're all interested in growth. We're all interested in doing the right thing for our customers. The incentives sometimes can be more short term versus long term. And that's where that tension comes in. And so what I encourage people who might feel that tension in a negative way to do two things. One, continue talking to your salespeople. Do not let that deter you from continuing the conversation. Salespeople have really high EQ a lot of times. You know, the talking to people is part of their strength. And so you want to leverage that and, and use it to build empathy for where you are coming from. That's one. Two, use those opportunities to help you make better decisions because they also have insights in the market that can help in your own growth as a PM. All right. Thank you, Sumeya. And thank you for being here every week. And I was wrong. I just realized I'm doing the math. We've been doing this for nine 
months. Uh, it's only that Red uh, converted this to a podcast with his the grateful generosity of his employer, Aptemptive. We've only been doing that for six months, but we've been here on Clubhouse every week for nine months. Red and Sumeya and I have become fast friends, and we've really seen just how amazing the product management community is. How many people like like Ted here, like Sumeya, and how many people here in the audience just want to give back and help everybody get to that next level. Red, you're the driving force behind this weekly podcast for nine months. Any concluding thoughts as you, this was your chance to shine, not just as the stage manager, but as a key part of the conversation, the collaboration between sales and product management. Well, it, it's tempting to, to say a lot, but uh, for the sake of brevity, I would say I'm echoing what Sumeya and Ted said. It's a two-way street. Sales needs to speak up and share what they learn, but product also needs to make it easy. You know, telling the salesperson, hey, you log a ticket and I'll, I'll get to it. Treating our feedback like it might be a one-off when there theoretically could be a trend. If you could take one thing away from this, I think sales and product should be hanging out as much as possible. And, you know, if your company doesn't foster a culture where product and uh, sales are encouraged to do that, then you should be asking yourself, is this the type of company I want to work with and work for? It might be, but it's not the company I want to work for. So if what I described is great, I will give a little disclaimer, Jeff. We are looking for hiring another PM at Aptentive. So if you're interested in working with me and the ethos I carry, uh, hey, Ted or Sumeya, I mean, come on over here. We'd love to party with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Ray. I have a Sonos, you know. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in, all, in all honesty, Jeff, you're fostering these conversations. If you feel like you had a good time today, join that Slack group. And come here every single Tuesday at 4 p.m. as we dig into topics we didn't even scratch the surface on today. So back to you, Jeff, and appreciative for being someone who's in sales that is in love with product. Red, thanks for your energy. And yeah, it's great to have so many people here and to have competition. Red or Ted, who do you want to work for in the audience <laughs> based off of what you heard today? Should we do like a, a raise your hand here in the audience if you want Red and then have a raise your hand if you want to work for Ted? No, no. Work Get with, me. Jeff. Work with. Work with. <laughs> work with. There are no losers, only winners in that. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, if you had fun today, come back every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time here on Clubhouse. Uh, check out How to Succeed in Product Management on every major podcasting app. And again, for those of you who are here in this room, if you are an aspiring product manager, the Product Management Center at the University of Washington is trying to empower 100 professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role. So if you are not a product manager, but you've studied and are working really hard, we've got a program, a 10-week program starting in January that connects you to the people, the ideas, and the opportunities so that you could do your best work and show hiring managers what we know if we select you, what our steering committee knows, that you are ready. They're going to work as hard as they can to get you an opportunity. And so check that out, the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. We are so grateful for Starbucks, who is a silver level sponsor, and Amazon, who is our very first platinum level sponsor. Two companies invested in you and invested in this program, invested in helping us work together to expand and diversify the product management pipeline. So check that out. And if you're a hiring manager in this audience, we already have a fall cohort. We have 46 people in the fall cohort. Uh, several of them are starting getting jobs at Peloton, IBM, Oracle. And so Microsoft is another place that hired a PM from the group. So if you're a hiring manager, reach out to me. We've got some amazing talent I'd love to connect you with. That is all, Ted. I got to say thanks again. It was really great to have you here on this show, fielding such great questions from the audience and appreciate your energy for giving back. It was nice. 
nice to spend the time with everybody. I really appreciate it. It's super pleased to share the stage with um, Samaya, Red, and Jeff, you as well. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Yeah. Red, did we make Samaya <laughs> laugh this episode? I'm not sure <laughs> that we... We oh, did. I did. I did. I definitely did. Okay. I heard her from over here when she was on mute and I could still hear her. <laughs> <laughs> Mission <hilarious>. accomplished. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Samaya. Thank you, Red. We will see you back next week on how to succeed in product management. Take care, everybody.